Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 127 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Uh, man, I'll tell you, today's conversation reminds me of why I got into the whole podcasting thing a couple of years ago. It's just because sometimes you can just get leaders to, you know, around a table, and this is a virtual table, but you can just have a conversation, and like the most fascinating stuff comes out because, you know, on social media, when you go to conferences, typically you hear people's highlight reel, and then, you know, what I was used to was just having conversations with leaders, but you kind of find out like the whole story, the real story. And uh, so I asked Brad Lominick and Judd Wilhite to join me for just this roundtable conversation that became this episode. And oh man, I'll tell you, like Judd and Brad, they're just so honest, they're so transparent. And I think you're going to hear yourself in the story. Now, you know, Judd leads one of the largest churches in the country. Uh, 15 to 20,000 people call his church home. It's amazing. But you know what? Whether you lead a church of 20 or 200, uh, he's got the same struggles you do. There's just a couple of zeros in front or behind, you know, his struggles. And he's really transparent about what's going on. So I think you're going to love this. And it's also a precursor to a conversation that we're going to have for a couple of days in Atlanta called Rethink Leadership. It's uh, We call it a conference, but it's really an event. And it's a pretty amazing event. We've got world-class speakers there, including Brad and Judd. We've got, uh, well, you can go to RethinkLeadership.com and see the entire lineup. I mean, Reggie Joyner, John Acuff, Les McEwen, Kara Powell, and many, many more. Too many to mention, actually. And we're just going to have a couple of days of conversations. It's an event open exclusively for senior pastors, lead pastors, and campus pastors. And it's going to be a lot of conversation like the one you're going to hear. And we're going to do some shorter talks longer discussions, and you're all going to be seated around tables so that you can connect with your peers. And last year we did it. It was incredible. Uh, it's going to sell out. And in two days, the rates go up. So on February 16th, if you're listening to this the week of release, make sure you go because you've got the best possible rate to rethink leadership until Thursday, February 16th, then it's going to go up. So it's still a value at any price, but you want to make sure you get the best prices. So if you haven't yet registered for rethink leadership, uh, make sure you go today to rethinkleadership.com. And in the meantime, I'm going to bring you like an hour long conversation that sounds and feels an awful lot like the vibe at that conference. So I hope you can be part of it April 26th through 28th in Atlanta. Also want to give a shout out to trainedup.org. They are doing an incredible job helping churches of every size and budget train their volunteers. Because if you're a big church, it can really help you train your volunteers across campuses. If you're a small church and you're like, well, I don't have money for virtual training. No, maybe you don't. But that's why Trained Up started is whether you're a large, mid-size, or multi-site church, single-campus church, one of the challenges we all have is how on earth do you train all your volunteers? Because you do an event, half show up, a third show up, three-quarters show up, and how do you do ongoing training? How do you reach those that don't show up to a physical event? Easy. You take your training online. So it's your content virtually delivered to your team, and churches that are using this are discovering that all of a sudden way more of their volunteers get trained. You can actually track their progress. It's pretty amazing. And if you haven't yet been to Trained Up, 
make sure you go and check out trainedup.org today. Hey, um, man, I just want to say thank you to all of you for making this such a great experience. And uh, this is why I love doing what we do. So if you find this episode helpful, make sure you share it on social media. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. And thanks for making January like the best month in the history of the podcast. You guys are phenomenal. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation today with Brad Lominick and Judd Wilhite. Well, it's really exciting to have Judd Wilhite and Brad Lominick with me today. Welcome to the, uh, like, what are we calling this podcast roundtable? Are we having a roundtable, even though there's no table and it's not round? A digital roundtable. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so uh, you're in Vegas, Judd, and Brad, you're in Atlanta, and I'm north of Toronto. And uh, so that's a pretty big table if you look at it. <laughs> anyway. It is, yes. We're all getting ready for Rethink Leadership 2017 at the end of April, uh, two days that we're going to spend together with senior leaders, campus pastors, executive pastors. And I just thought it'd be fun to have some conversation on some of the issues that we're going to be tackling at Rethink Leadership. And so before we jump into sort of the five issues that we're going to be covering at that conference, and whether you've been there or not, I think you're going to find value in this conversation Let's catch up on what's going on in your life. Judd, why don't we start with you? What You've, you've in a in a really exciting season right now at uh, Central Church in Vegas. So tell us all about that. Yeah, well, it's great to be with you guys and uh, nice to uh, get to chat a little bit about leadership. We're, uh, we're in a great season right now at Central that um, is kind of the, the fruition of four or five years of planning and hard work, uh, wrapping up a four-year construction project that went in multiple phases across across multiple locations. So uh, it's a lot of fun right now, but yeah. it, it's on the back end of what was a lot of work and grind and hustle that, that nobody ever see. I mean, I even stopped, I go back now, like four or five years ago, uh, I think it was four years ago, I, I really stopped traveling. I stopped going, I mean, to get through a construction and building project like that, you pretty much have to give it 120% and mm. your, your entire life, you can't, you can't travel around the country and speak and train and do all these things and still lead at that level. At least I couldn't. Yeah. So we're in a great season on the backside of it, just going, thank you, God, for getting us to this place and and uh, starting to see some of the fruit of that. Um, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. But I, I think right now it's easy to look at the fruit of of that, like you're the fruit of any ministry and go, wow, that's great. I wish that would happen to us. And, you know, these things just happen magically, you know, like you just... Uh, you're just blessed or whatever. And the, and the truth is like um, all of these kinds of moves of God are on the back ends of a lot of hard work, effort, sacrifice, and prayer from a lot of people. True. And there's a lot of leaders in on the front side of that right now. Just give us the quick thumbnail of like some of the changes you've made, like four years of fundraising and construction. So like for those who may not be familiar, what are you doing? Well, so we yeah, two, so we did two capital campaigns back to back. In four um, years. Across, in four four years across uh, all ten of our locations, uh, every location had their own financial initiatives and goals were connected to those capital campaigns. So they're all doing something a little different. But on uh, on the large scale, we just uh, we uh, uh, added um, a third to our auditorium space at our largest original campus. Uh, added a, an upper level and a lower level, and then um, blew out our lobby and outside area and sort of reconfigured the entire building so that we could grow into that auditorium space and have children and student space for it to be at capacity. Wow. So uh, as I'm talking to the banks and looking out, you know, the banks are all forecasting at some point we're due for a downturn, in the, at least in the American economy. You know, they run in about 10-year cycles. And so 
just not knowing what would come in the future, we wanted to set ourselves up where we wouldn't have to go back into another campaign mm-hmm. if we hit a, hit a significant recession. So we sort of retrofitted our whole building for that. We're wrapping that up. And then we had a few campuses that relocated and got into different spaces and renovations of those spaces that was all connected to it. We have a few more that we're still working on, trying to get enough resources to get new auditoriums built for those spaces. So, so you're in the you're in the fun part of it right now, right? Everybody wants to get to the altar of Thanksgiving, but nobody wants to be on the altar of sacrifice. What was the uh, just real quick? What was the hardest part of the last four years for you as as a leader? Like when you look back, you're like, wow, that was a little bit harder than I thought. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, we, when you cast a large, it's funny because I think the hardest thing was also in many ways, the greatest thing looking Mm -hmm. back, the hardest thing is when you cast a large vision and you say, we are going for it. This is going to take everything you've got. It's going to take all the extra resources you've got. It's going to take sacrifice, time, commitment. It's going to (laughs) hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But, but it's for God, it's for Jesus, it's for the kingdom. Uh, the, the, the thing that hurt the most in that is when you cast a really clear, compelling, large vision is you have people that you thought were with you that you find out really weren't. Wow. You have people that you thought were for the vision and for you that have been part of your church and ministry that just go, we're not, we're not going to go another lap. That lap is going to cost a lot. And we're not sure you're going to be able to get us there. We're not sure it's the right lap to run. And so we, you know, as I look back like four years ago, we went through this period where we had a little bit of an exodus of uh, some people that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too ugly, but they just, they, they just weren't down with where we were going. And that, that really hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and you, and you sort of, it shakes your confidence. Yeah. You aren't sure, like maybe, you know, maybe this was all the wrong kind of uh, approach to this issue. But then I would also say that's been the best thing for us too, because after those people left and that, so that first year was pretty rough, Yeah, you know? Um, but after those people left, the people that are still with you are a hundred percent on board for that vision and new people are coming and just any sense of dissension and this kind of dis, uh, uh, disunity in the ranks is gone. And you, and then everybody gets behind that vision. And I look at the last three years and look at kind of how much ground we've taken. I don't think we could have done that without going through the shakeup of that first year once we recast a big vision. And, and that must have been a surprise to you, too, because it's not like you're new. I mean, these people had tracked with you for what, like close to a decade or more? Oh, yeah. No, these were these were uh, uh, my people, for lack of a better word. You know, people yeah, that yeah. under my ministry have been with me for a long time. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. You know, we did this big, huge all church gathering at, uh, uh, one of the largest stadiums in, uh, in Las Vegas, packed it out. It was an mm. amazing thing. We called it pack the Mac. And there was a lot of ways you could approach that. I don't know if I did it the right way or not, but I used it. <laughs> Basically I got our entire church in one room, lo- the local campuses in Las Vegas in one room and packed this place out. And then I used it to cast a vision about, all the sacrifice it was going to take to take the next step. <laughs> now so, that I have you here, I, people. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I look back and I'm like, that was really gutsy or really stupid. Like, I'm not sure which one. You know, I got everybody there and I'm like, all right, look, what happened was great. Here's where we're going. And this is what it's going to take. And we saw actually a decline from that. Mo- like, here we were. It's 18,000 people, room capacity in this arena. I'm like, this is next level. This is going off the chain, right? And right after that, we started the decline. It was like people were like, whoa, we're, we're, some of us are t- 
tapping out. Not not huge, but it was like. But we were here for the fun. What did you see? Like five percent, ten percent attrition, or what did you yep, see? Totally I, in the in the in the five to ten percent range, which we then had to make up over the next year or two. But it was like this line was drawn in the sand, and uh, you know I was going for clarity of vision, and I may have been a little too clear. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love it, man. And thanks for th- this. Is what I love about these conversations is just the honesty, right? Because everybody hears about the highlight reel. Everybody hears, oh, you just, you know, multi-billion dollar thing and all these people are coming to Christ. And it's like, no, I got scars. Here they are. (laughs) Thank you, Judd. Thanks for that. Hey, Brad, catch us up with uh, what's new in uh, Brad Lominick world. Yeah, no, I'd love to. And I'm I'm just taking notes over here on Judd because that's such a great leadership lesson that Mm -hmm. the more you call people to a higher level of commitment, the, the more people will walk away. I mean, it's, it's just like climbing Everest, you know, like if you're going to go up Everest, which I've never been, but I, you know, I'd love what reading the stories <laughs> is everybody wants to go to base camp because base camp is no, you don't have to have oxygen. You don't, you don't kill yourself. I mean, you can make it to base camp. Right. And then you get there and you're like, no, we still got 13,000 more feet to, to go. And everybody goes, I'm out. Like I'm mm-hmm. good right here. I'm going to eat. You know, I'm going to eat uh, cinnamon rolls and drink coffee and enjoy base camp. But that that's such a good lesson, Judd. I mean, you need to. I, I want to hear more well, about that. But I, but I so do I'm, think, I'm sorry, Carrie. I'm not giving you my update, but I'm just. I'm, I'm, I'm so, with you on that. I'm I, with I, you. I, yeah. I do just want to chime in, though, and, and we can talk about this later. That that those that that yes, that happens. But the end result of all of that is even more people get reached of and course. even more people come to yes. Christ. You know, the end yeah. result is so much greater. But yeah, there is a season that's really hard. And that's sort of that it's, idea that, you know, strategy is initially divisive. Like when you declare a new strategy, right? And that, that was a strategy. It was a vision thing. It was a mission thing, but it was a strategy thing. Ultimately, when you get that level of clarity, it's almost always divisive because you got very specific and you called people to do something. And uh, you know, maybe those five to ten percent had different reasons, but let's assume somewhere along for the ride, and all of a sudden it got bumpy and required something, and they're like tapping out, right? Yeah. And and but if it's a good strategy, hopefully it's going to result in more people being reached, which I assume is exactly what you're seeing right now at Central. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But nobody but, but wants I, that. <laughs> it's just nope. it's just such it's so it, it's such a, a a tough lesson for leaders to understand without going through it is that. The, the road, the road to, you know, what you feel like is significance or the next level of impact. Many times you're going to lose people along the way and, uh, you're going to lose those people who've been with you. And that hurts. Like Judd saying that that's painful. That that's not a fun thing to walk through when you look at them and go, wait, I thought you were in. Yeah. Uh, and so most of us default back to, well, let's, okay, let's dumb down the vision guys. Hold on. Uh, you know, that, that elder, that elder's now in my ear and that, you know, that giver, that donor is now in my ear and, and uh, you want to dumb down the vision because you're afraid you're going to lose in the short term compared to winning and more impact in the long term. That, that's just such a powerful like, wow. It really Everybody is. Everybody needs to hear that. Yeah. And, and the thing, thing people need to understand, Judd, how many years have you been at Central now? Is it 14 yeah, I'm in my 14th year. 14th year. So these, you know, you're not the new guy, and this is the first thing you've done. These are these are people in many cases who had a decade with you, and you just got clearer, and your passion got hotter, and your vision got sharper, 
and God wanted to do something new because, I mean, I think that's a big challenge for every leader is there's what you do in your first few years, which we've talked about before on this podcast, right? You've, you're very open, very transparent about that. It was hard, but then, you know, you set a course, you started running, and, and then you're like, okay, now we're going to take it to the next level. It's one thing to change once. It's another thing to change again. That's harder, a harder level of leadership. And yeah, it's got to be painful. I mean, I've experienced that. 22 years in the same place, and people still walk away when they see the next level of vision, uh, and that's painful. And then, and then they come back, some of them, when you're done. Right? <laughs> Have you noticed? Like, this is what I'm seeing right now. I'm like, oh, you're back. Well, yeah. I, I, what do you I'm say to them? Back, what do you say to them? <laughs> I, I, just, I, just, I just am glad they're back. But I remember, <laughs> I remember who stood with us when we needed them most, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm glad you're back, but I, but you know, I know, I know who you are. So let me ask you yes. a point blank question. <laughs> All right. And you can make this theoretical. You see the faces. I don't see the faces. None of us see the faces. Would you put someone who left and came back into a position of senior leadership in the future? Senior leadership? No, I think, there, mm-hmm. I think I'd love for them to be involved in the life of the church, you know, absolutely. But I think, uh, Unless they left for a reason, like they moved, or there was some significant oh, yeah, yeah, reason, yeah. they left in a divisive way. Then, then I would probably never un- in or out of a, a camp because loyalty is my sort of highest value. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, people around staff and our team have, have known that both ways. You know, I, I'm incredibly loyal to the, the people that I know and love, and and you know, I want to be that friend that stands beside them no matter what. And I'm that guy, right? I, yeah. And our, our senior leadership team at Central, we've all been together. Well, a lot of us have been together 13, 14 years, you know, mm-hmm. like these guys have been with me the whole journey, you know, and we're and uh, we're still as strong as ever because of that. So that loyalty is huge for me. And it also translates to our church. So if people violate that in a, you know, in, in a certain uh, sense, then they would, um, you know, I'm not going to get in people's way, but I would definitely not be in a position where I put them in a senior leadership position, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah, I, no, I get that. I, I asked that question once when we were on, on the typical season, you know, what you describe, I asked a, a leader who leads, everybody would know his or her name. And I asked the leader, I said, what do you do in a case like that? And he had people, it's him, had people who left his church in a divisive time. And he said, nope, you left. Like it was pretty clear. It was like, nope, you left. Right. So um, you're welcome back, but like you're not you're not going to be in a in a major role in the future. Super helpful, Brad. What's new, yes. man? Sorry, sorry for that sidebar. I just this, no. To... This there's no apologies. <laughs> this was gold. Uh, real, I'll give you my real quick update because it's really boring. Uh, you know, because I've been on your podcast a couple of times in the last uh, two and a half, three years, yeah. thirty six month window here of I get you know post Catalyst. A lot of people know the story now. Um, leaving Catalyst which was all really uh, on the up and up and there's no story mm-hmm. behind the story. Um, been in the last 36 months doing a lot of, of what I call strategic advising. I don't, uh-huh. I don't like to say consultant because a lot of consultants uh, don't do anything. They show up and sort of tell you what to do and then they go away and you're left with all the pain points still and, and really no strategy. Um, so my, I feel like my role is going from gathering thousands at Catalyst to now trying to impact tens. And, you know, those tens for me are hopefully those who are impacting thousands. And I want to be in the corner. I want to be advising them strategically. I want to help them with whatever they're working on, whether it's a conference or 
their own leadership or their team being more uh, focused on growing something, whatever that looks like. So that's what I spend most of my time doing and speaking a little bit more here and there. Um, we're supposed to be working on a third book, Carrie. I was just going to uh, ask but, you, you and I talk all the time, but I, I don't, I don't hear you talking about writing. If you have not read H3 leadership, it is, and I don't say this lightly because I see a lot of books, read a lot of books, get a lot of books. I think it's a classic. I think it's a book that will be read a decade, 15 years from now. It's fantastic. Have you got a follow up to that? Well, thanks for saying that. Um, uh, you, I, I have a follow up under contract. However, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a, a working title or, uh, for that matter, really a working, uh, a working thought. Um, I, you Keeping know, it I, real on the podcast, today, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. If so, if somebody pinned me great. down and said that, you got to you got to turn it in tomorrow. I think I would probably write around this idea of, of a platform, that you build that other people can stand on. That, that would be the premise of sort of where I feel like my leadership thoughts are right now is, is how, to, how do leaders actually give away their influence um, and not building a platform. I love Mike Hyatt's book, Platform, that mm-hmm. was about building your own platform, and it was, it's a really helpful book. But I think the, the future of leadership is, is that you build something that other people then stand on and you go stand stage left. So if I had to title the book right now, it would be stage left or backstage or side stage or behind the stage and sort of the lessons I've learned from that, that, that premise, that, that place, uh, in, you know, in, in the conversation. That's solid. What a great idea. Do it. Don't you agree? Karen? I agree. Totally. And we need that. And you know what? You've got street cred because I mean, for a decade you led catalyst and that's what you did. You built a platform that lots and lots of leaders stood on sometimes for the first time. And yeah. uh, I, I think you're right. I mean, sure. in an age, I, I can't tell you the number of young leaders, and we have a ton of young leaders who listen to this podcast who stop me when we meet face to face and they're just interested in figuring out a platform, you know, and how do you get leaders listening and how do you get followers and all that. And I find the, the conversation a little bit awkward at times because I think if you want a platform, you probably shouldn't have one. Does that, does that make sense? In a weird way, but here I have this platform. So who am I to say? I mean, I don't know. On the other hand, my goal is to let you guys stand on it today. So why don't we jump on that way? There's a nice segue. And I totally agree with Judd. That is a needed, needed book in the church and for leaders in general. Um, but we, um, we're, we, we rethink leadership. When we get together, we did this last year. We're going to do it again this year through a new angle. There's really five issues that we tackle Um, We talk about strategy, we have a session on team, one on culture, one on momentum, and then one on you, really. How how are you doing? Because we don't don't want to leave without, you know, speaking personally and and looking what's going on in the inside, not just what's going on in our heart, in our heads, but also in our hearts. So I thought we'd just kind of walk through those subjects and just see where you guys are at in this roundtable. And I know we're going to pick up some insights along the way. So let's start with strategy. Uh, Judd, we'll start with you. What's one of the best decisions on strategy you've ever made, would you say, looking back on your 15 years in, in leadership or, or prior to that, prior to your time at Central? I think uh, I, I come at that maybe from two angles. One angle, I think one of the most important things we've done is every every few years we look at the strategy again. I would mm. say that over four, 13 and a half, 14 years at Central, we have reinvented ourselves at least three times. 
Yeah. And we're probably a few years away, but we'll be due up for another reinvent. Not not a total change in not a change in mission or vision, but a change in how you're strategically approaching it because the world's changing, your church is changing, things are always changing. So strategy isn't forever, I guess is is one of the most important mm-hmm. lessons I've learned. Strategy is fluid and uh, you can't enshrine it. You have to embrace it to the degree that it works and scrap it to the degree that it doesn't and uh, find something else that works. And then I think, you know, the second thing that I would say that's been important for us strategy wise goes way back to, you know, a movement that's just been in the church for years and years. And that's the simple church movement. But really, that was still one of the most effective uh, 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 strategic decisions that we embraced to really go from being more of a pond, if you will, as a church, to narrowing our focus, defining what's important, focusing in on three or four things that we're going to actually do well and become a rushing river. Hmm. So it's good. When you, when you look back, cause you know, it's interesting at Connexus, we've done the same thing. I always said when I was a lead, Every three to five years, we blow things up. And what stands, I mean, it could be that you're not going to make a lot of changes because what you're doing is working, but I think you have to examine it at a, at a very deep fundamental level. Again, not your mission or vision or your strategy. So what are, what are a couple of the changes you would have made? Because I think, yeah, when you look at it, 2017 is different than 2003 or 2002, right? So uh, what are some, what is some of the evolution or revolution uh, been? Just a couple of highlights for you from your time at Central. Chad? Yeah, I just think we've gotten really more, uh, you know, you talk about that strategy, you know, we used to try to get people to buy into our strategy. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to explain our strategy first, because we think you care. And second, because we're going to try to get you to buy into that. And I think we we just have embraced more how pulled people are, and how much Mm. is going on in their life. They don't need to understand all of our strategy. They don't even need to buy into our strategy. They're going to just by osmosis be a part of our strategy if we're doing it well. I don't mean our staff. I mean yeah, yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, just simplifying that that whole approach. We simplified our mission, you know, our mission, the way we, everybody has their own way of saying it, but ours went from a, a very long convoluted sentence. If I go back to 2000 and, you know, four, five uh, to, you know, we exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them follow him. I mean, that's it. You know, that's, that's what we do. Uh, we have one thing that we're trying to get people to go to. We call it first step. And so there's only one next step for everybody at our church. And that's first step. And we just clarified that everybody gets it across the board. And then through first step, then do they go into like group or whatever, wherever they're going? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And that's where we kind of work our strategy. But, but I just thinking these are, these things are a little, the, the approach to it has been a little different. You know, there was a day for us when we had different volunteers for different areas in our lobby and you could go to these different areas and we just sort of embrace, everything's just gotten simpler. Like we've just embraced what I would call like the Apple method. If the, in a, for us, it's a red shirt. Everybody is equal as a volunteer. Everybody has a red mm-hmm. shirt and everybody can get you into anything. So all you have to do is find one person with a red shirt and you're good. That's cool. So the bigger it got, the simpler it got. I, yes, that's a very that's stated better. But I, you know, and I'm not sure that's exactly getting at what your question was. I'm just thinking like on the no, ground. That's good. What are the changes? Yeah, that's good. Brad, how about you? What's one of the best strategic decisions you've ever made? Um, that's a great question. I, I think you know the. I'll take it back to the Catalyst days because that's what most people mm-hmm. would know from my context. Um, when we decided we were going to aim small, we were going to aim small and, and miss small meaning that our target would be 
a very clear, defined 29 to 30 year old leader. And, you know, the early days of Catalyst were under 40. That was sort of what it was known for. But when you start growing, all of a sudden, your target gets bigger because the engine needs fuel. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, need, you need like more coal in the, in the, uh, in the caboose uh, or whatever's driving the train. The, the caboose is at the end. The, An interesting conduct- tweet, but go ahead. Yes. Brad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, what's the conductor of the train in? He's in the engine room? Yeah, he's, the, he's in the yeah, yeah, what do you call that? Is that the engine? What's the front one? We'll take it. Okay. Yeah, sure. yeah the engine room. Yeah. Let's but not you do know Jeopardy what I mean. like, anytime soon. You got to you got to keep feeding and you got to and you feel like when you get bigger all of a sudden the target should should expand because wait, we're going to run out of people compared to no, stay stay laser focused on your target. Mm. Actually the best way to grow is is to know your your target more. So that would that one would be one lesson that I feel like was really important and making sure your branding, your, your marketing, your, your, the, the, the ethos, the, the vibe, the experience, you know, everything that is being created is being created for that person. And you're going to have all these people in your ear barking at you who are not that target. And over the years of catalyst, I would say to the 55 year old, I love you. You're awesome, man. I, or woman, I, Mrs. or Mr. I, I love you, but you're not my target. Mm-hmm. So Lord bless you. But if you don't like it, w- that's great. Like we go to another conference. So, so let's talk about that. Because the one thing you both have in common in your answer is that you got narrow and Judd, you got more narrow and, and, and more strategic and simpler in what you did. And I can see leaders at their church going, well, I would love to do that, except I got a whole bunch of 55-year-olds, as you just said, or I've got people who want to start ministries left, right, and center who think that their ministry is the most important ministry. How have you guys navigated that? Like, how did you stay laser-locked on the 29 to 30-year-old, and what did that do for Catalyst? And then, Judd, what do you do when people come up and say, I got a better idea, I got a different idea? How do you guys handle that? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, the... It doesn't mean that I don't, I don't have something for leaders outside of the target, or that I'm I'm saying you can't participate. But what I am saying is that is that um, we're very clear on what we're creating. Because if you don't know who your target is, and you're not defining it yourself or your team, then it will be defined for you. Because right. when I walk in every church or every conference or every you know gathering, I can immediately tell you who it's designed for, whether mm-hmm. you were intentional about that or not. So um, it, this is not an exclusive idea of, of, Hey, we're, you know, we're only going to, we only will allow certain people in. Um, it, it's more of this idea of saying, we, we know who we know ultimately who we are. It's more about who we are and, and making sure that, that we're reflecting that right. in, in regards to who we're trying to make sure that we're attracting. Because if you don't know that, man, you're all of a sudden, all the people who show up are going to, are going to, it's going to end up galvanizing towards one particular customer base or clientele or, or age demographic or whatever. And it usually is not the ones you're trying to reach. So what you're saying is you're not excluding people, but you're just hyper-targeting that 29 to 30-year-old leader. And if a 50-year-old or 70-year-old happens to like it, they're not excluded, but you're not going to you know, program to their tastes? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because... Um, you know that you, you're always going to have people in your ear again, who have more. They have more influence. They have more power. They right. have more hierarchy. They have more money. They have more whatever. 
And if there's not your target, then the, the, the distraction for the leader is always to go to wherever there seems to be the most screaming and or the most dollars and uh -huh. or the most, you know, power. And a lot of times that's outside of your target. So if you don't know who that is, then you're going to you're, you're just going to be you're going to be schizophrenic in yeah. trying to, to reach your customer. So let's talk. And, and Jed, I'm going to jump over to you in just a second with that question about how you deal with the competing voices. But you've raised money a couple of times because I would say one of the most frequent things an older leader would say is, well, I'm 55, I'm 70. I fund this thing. And I hear that all the time from church leaders. I fund this thing. So how can you ignore me? What have you said to that, Brad? And I mean, yours was a different model in, in the sense that you were selling tickets, but how did you handle that? And then Judd, how did you handle it? And tell me how you handle the voices as well. Brad, how, how do you handle well, that? Well, I'll let, I'll let, I'm going to actually default my time to the great senator from the state of Nevada on this one. <laughs> okay. Dr. Dr. Wilhite, yeah. Dr. Wilhite, <laughs> have, you, have you had people uh, tell you, hey, listen, you got to pay attention to me. I'm funding this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think, you know, one, I think first of all, Again, you, you've got to be coy and wise in how you lead a strategy and a vision in a church. You know, I don't stand up and say, "Hey, guys, you're not our target." <laughs> you know, like, like we have a different yeah. target, and you're just not. And so, yeah. get out. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like no, nobody would like. There's a common sense framework that says, "Okay, don't underestimate the long term difference you can make, and don't overestimate, you know, the short term." Uh, issue, right? This is, you want to change a demographic, that's a five to 10 year look in a church. Mm. That is not going to happen fast. So you got a long time. So you work a plan, you work a strategy. And I would say, keep those cards close to your vest, right? Yeah. Like, don't, you don't have to walk out. Here's the thing, like at Central, when I got there, I felt like I was the oldest guy. I was the youngest guy, one of the youngest guys on the entire staff. And I was the youngest guy on the platform. Right you know, now, today, um, and this has been true for years. I'm the oldest guy, you know, just about on the platform on a given weekend. I don't even have to say anything. Everybody just looks around and goes, "Everybody up there is like 19 and 20." Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know, like what? What does that say? Well, that communicates. I don't have to communicate. That communicates, right? I started making strategic changes, and and it took time. And that's, I think, just important. To say, I know that's common sense. I just, I, you know, I, I coach and counsel and walk with a lot of friends in ministry going through a lot of heartache. And I think some of that is because uh, change is hard. Leadership is hard. Defining kind of where you need to go is hard. You know, as Brad's mentioned, mm -hmm. it's, and it's, it's challenging. But also, um, they moved too fast. They threw hand grenades they didn't have to throw. They tried to draw a line in the sand. They tried to make things, you know, they, they hit sacred cows, right? You know, every church has sacred cows. Like I yeah. remember a friend of mine, he took the American flag off the stage of a traditional church and, in Texas, and it was World War III. Like he, he didn't realize what happened, but it became World War III. And so you have to pick and choose your battles, right? And is the flag worth it? And is that the most <laughs> important one that you could, right. you could you be fighting know, in this season? You, know, there's, 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 you could argue either way. Like, yeah, you need to get rid of the flag. But if, if it's going to become World War III is now the time. I, you know, I don't yeah. know. It'd be different for different people. But I might be inclined to just go, it's a flag. I don't care. Put it over in the corner of the back of the stage and let's move on. You know, like right. if we're doing the mission then have patience. You don't have to be there today. So I'm rambling a little bit, but I feel like no, no, that's really good. You know, patience and and and, and um, uh, strategy that that needs to be employed kind of at this level. So I would say 
for us, when it comes to uh, a more more specific targeting, it doesn't have to be age. That, that's you right. know we, we often think target from the standpoint of age, and um, I, I understand that. Like yes, but mm-hmm. it, we are in a very eclectic world now, where even forty and fifty year olds are at the Twenty One Pilots concert and Panic at the Disco, and you know yeah. like it, hard to nail down uh you know what is youth culture and what is not spread out more i mean i my my parents didn't know any of the music i listened to i'm a fan of don bellion you know i'm a fan of all these people my i know as much about the music my daughter's listening to as she does like what's going (laughs) on with that you know so so we tend to find it maybe less around age even though that is a is a byproduct and, and a little more around um culture and, uh, and also a little more around mission, you know, for us, Good. it's a little more focused on, um, rescue. Like we know that if our hedgehog, our one word for us is rescue, that's mm-hmm. what we do. And we're in, in, uh, you know, a city in great need where people get spit out all the time. So we're a rescuing church and rescue is our hedgehog. That's what we do the best. Celebrate recovery, people wrestling with gambling addiction, people caught up in drug addiction, people trying to get out of a certain lifestyle that's destroying them. So uh, important thing isn't what our kind of hedgehog is. It's that we know what it is. Right. And we mm-hmm. focus yep. that. And, and in yeah. Vegas, it's a very logical and needed hedgehog. So let me oh. let me just before we jump on to team. Let me just ask you, when you have people who say, but Judd, I'm funding this, or, you know, I'm 55, put me on the platform, because that's a very real pressure in a lot of smaller churches where, um, you know, you know the 150 people who show up on a Sunday. Uh, any advice to a leader who's facing that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you're, when I was in my, my 20s and 30s, it's a different conversation. I'm in my mid-40s now, and so the benefit of that for me is I can play up a little bit to that 55-year-old, even 60-year-old. And I can tell them, like, look, you know, I, there's times when I don't like the music. It's okay. Yeah. There's times when I don't know the songs. And if I did know all the songs, if I did love everything that was happening, we're doing something wrong. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. entering into a different phase in life, right? So I better not like everything if we're going to reach the next generation. And I can appeal to them as a brother and as a friend. And I find that just just about a hundred percent of the time that works. It doesn't mean they always stay in the church, but they usually don't get too aggressive in that sense. So it's a little easier now that I'm a little older and I've been around longer. See, if you're new in a ministry and in a church, you still got to get those chips. You have to put in your time. It's a cha- it's hard in those first years, and sometimes you're not exactly sure what to do. And I would say patience, wise counsel. Um, there are people who've said things like that in early meetings with me at, at Central and in other ministries, and I would listen to them and pray with them and affirm them and thank them and just not really do anything to follow up. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like, yeah, I didn't, that's I didn't right. anything to blow it up. I didn't get in there. I just sort of ducked and dodged for a few years, and then you kind of all move on, you know? Well, and sometimes people just need to be heard. They just need to yeah, be heard. Right. They need to be listened to, and away we go. Everybody yeah. wants Everybody wants to have a role, and... And everybody wants to feel like they have a seat on the on the team bus. Uh, and when the, when this when the seat feels like it's now being taken, that's that's when there tends to be you know tension. So the you know the older leader, it, hey, listen, man, your your role your role is to be the chief inspiration officer to to fueling the next generation. You, you know, like we we need you to help us release the next generation in our church. And all of a sudden you watch the shoulders 
you know, get some more like sense of, of, of weightiness in them. And they go back and that, that person stands up and says, I I'm in, mm-hmm. I will take that role and, and run with it. And we you need know, and, you to fund this. We need you to fund this. Like if you've got money, man, we, we need you to fund this for the next generation and create a place where your kids and grandkids can be a part of. Yeah. Well, I just, yeah. and I just want to, I just want to hit too on Judd's point. It was so good of, of target is, is cross as across many lines. It's not just age, as Judd said, it's, it's, it's stage of life. Um, it's urban or rural. It's, um, you know, what are you reading? Are you an intellectual or are you more of a, of a scanner of news media? Uh, you know, uh, all that stuff has to go into it. And I was just giving an example of one part of that, which was age with catalyst, but you know, that's, that's really important is to cut across all those lines. And, you know, churches are notorious, uh, or a lot of churches I know are notorious for, again, when you ask them, hey, who are you really trying to connect with and impact and reach? They will say to you, everyone. Mm-hmm. Good answer, but let's get a little more specific. You know, and, and that's, that has to be part of your strategy is that is that you're constantly trying to, again, make sure everybody's on the same page of defining who it is that you really want to impact. Because if you don't know the answer to that question, you're, you're going to have a hard time hitting your target and, and actually saying yes to success. That's great. Let's talk about team. Um, <laughs> true confession time. <laughs> What's the worst decision about team you've ever made? Who wants to go first? I would say hiring talent and being enamored by talent without spending enough time dialing into loyalty. Hmm. Hmm. You know, my, my father was in the world war two and small business owner leader for most of his life. And in his eighties, he said, I asked him once, I said, can you, can you make a person loyal? That's a really, cause you, you know, there's some really talented people out there who will slit your throat as soon as you turn around, you know, like it's, it's, it's yeah. a leader. Uh, I'm like, um, you know, can you make a person loyal in you know, 80 years? Right. He said, uh, he said, I think a person's either loyal or they're not. Wow. And he said, you can take a person that's loyal and make them disloyal if you treat them badly. But he goes, if somebody's just disloyal, it's really hard because of stuff that's happened in their past to actually see them become a loyal person. So I, I think one of the biggest wow. mistakes I've made is, is being enamored by talent without really kind of trying to suss out to the best of the ability that you can. Is this a loyal person or not? Is this a person who has the backs of his or her team members? Is this a person that doesn't cause dissension, but helps bring unity in the life of our church and in our team? Mm, good. That's really good. Really good. Brad, how about you? Yeah, uh, I got, I got a whole list, but I'll give you one. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think for me, it was the, um, the avoidance of confrontation or of really hard conversations over the years uh, with people who were peers or or more talented slash uh, I respected way more. It was way mm-hmm. easy for me to confront the intern. It was way yeah. easy for me to confront the um, the person who is the who's my assistant or who who I feel like is is inferior, lower, you know, whatever the sure. adjective is. I know but you don't mean peers, that, but we get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yep. my peers, the people who were my peers and or those who I really respected. So for, in my context, it was, it was, um, you know, it was, it was speakers or it was talent or it was, um, it was partners who had been with us a long time. I had a really hard time confronting them, not to, 
bust their chops, but more just honesty and like, and hey, listen, you know what? You've been working with us for several years, uh, but we're going to need to make a change. And we need to move you out of a role and and put somebody else in. Like that feels like on paper a really fairly easy team to, dynamic and decision to make, but it's really hard. And and I'm I'm a guy who kind of leans into to being okay with with tension, but um, the 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 friend in me always had a difficult time with that. You know, so mm-hmm. whether it was it was when Reggie Joyner and Lanny Donahoe. Uh, moved out of hosting at Catalyst and, you know, we, we brought in some new people. That's one example for me. And, and Reggie, Reggie Lanny looked at me and said, Brad, just tell us, like, just, just be honest with us. But, but I was, you know, slow playing it. And I was, I was hee-hawing around the, the issue. And I was trying to figure out a way to, you know, to do that in a way that w- still felt like it was, it was honoring, but you know, like the lesson for me was no, just tell people, be what? honest with people, reveal it to them, get, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, but, but, but talk to them and be really clear. Well, so that would be my lesson. I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to say this. I knew Reggie when he was hosting Catalyst. And I remember him saying to me on more than one occasion over a period of years, you know, I'm too old to be hosting this. Like we we got to get somebody younger right. in there. Like we just we just need to move and like if I'm not moved out I'm going to have to move. So it's interesting because sometimes the people that you know or at least the healthy ones they're already aware that a change needs to be made and there's just fear that gets in the way <laughs> sometimes. That's really helpful. How about best um decisions you've made about team? What are some best practices that you're like, "Yep, all day long I should do it again." That was a great that was great, Brad, what you shared and super practical. And I think real for me and, and yeah. for all of us, I've, I've definitely been there as well. I, I think one of the best decisions about team that I've made is to trust my team or hire a team that you can trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you can't yeah. trust them, get some people around you, you can, you're still responsible for that and yeah. make sure you have a team around you that you can trust. So, but then I would say that leads to what has probably been the greatest gift to me in ministry, which is, uh, you know, in some ways, uh, Peter Drucker used to say that, uh, leadership decisions are, are not made as much as they become apparent. Mm. And I think he was getting at the fact that big decisions, significant decisions, if you get the right team around the table and t- talk them through, it will become apparent what you need to do. And so my toughest leadership moments, I had a great team around me and still do. And uh, I've got, I called those guys in a room and, and I remember as a leader, like I always felt like I'm supposed to have the answer. I'm supposed to know the direction. I'm supposed to know exactly where we're going. I'm supposed to know how to handle this. Well, when the whole economy went off the cliff back in 06, 07, like I was completely lost. And there was a point around 08, 07, 08 for us where, you know, Vegas was particularly hit hard and, you know, our whole world was upside down. I just didn't know what to do. And I, it was, it was embarrassing. I I brought our leadership team, these excellent leaders, talented people. And I looked them in the eyes and I said, I don't know what to do. And it was amazing because I felt like God had had given this to me. I prayed, you know, a whole summer about where we were going. And the, the only thing I felt like I heard from the Lord impressed on my heart was, you have a great team. Trust your team. Get your team around you and be oh. honest with them. And so I called the team together and just said, like, I'm not exactly sure we need the Drucker principle to play out here. We need we need our hearts and our minds 
focused on this for a two-day retreat, and we need to think and about what is apparent, what is the right decision, what is the next step. And you know what? My leadership style, I think, was always that way, but it's become even more that way. And God has honored that. If you have a great team around you and you trust them, then you can empower them with shared leadership and tough decisions if you don't feel like you necessarily have conviction about the next step. If I can add something to that, that's so good. And I know you and I were talking last year, Judd, and uh, one of the things I really carried away from our time together was I was so impressed at how when you felt uh, financial responsibility, whether that was through the recession or, you know, more recently in the four years of fundraising you've done, two back-to-back capital campaigns, what I left with was a real sense that you did a great job at helping your entire senior leadership team carry that load. And I reflected on my two decades as lead pastor thinking, you know what, I think I carried the financial weight of the church, and we've done remarkably well for a church in our context. I have nothing to complain about, but I don't think I did a good enough job in in sharing that weight. Somehow I felt as a senior leader that was my responsibility, and it is. I mean, you can't abdicate it, but I, I was just in awe of the job that you had done uh, over your in your style of leadership in sharing those major responsibilities with your team, and as a result, you get ownership. So I thought that was really, really good. No, that that, that, that I appreciate you saying that, and I and I, I think that's this is a good. I want to encourage the listeners because I think this is an important point because it's a little even more basic than that. When you're only good at a few things, you better get some friends around you that know you love them, you have <laughs> their back, and then they rally and say. We got to make him successful. Yeah, he's not. He's, he's not, not going to be him. successful on we, his own. <laughs> we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure it gets done. And I think there's that there is that angle too. And so I want to give hope to everybody. Like some of it is my team looking at me, going, "All right, this ain't going to fly if we don't pick up the implementation strategy and if we don't start running this on the ground level." Because they know I'm good at a few things, and then after that, it's kind of right off the cliff edge. Oh, it's so good. Thanks, Judd. Brad, how about you? Best decision on team? No, I, I mean, I, Judd, I think Judd hit it. So yeah, I, okay. I, I don't know if I can, I, I don't know if I can add much to that one. Okay. Well, let's go to momentum. Uh, we're going to talk about momentum at Rethink Leadership, have a whole, um, I don't know what you call it, afternoon on that. Um, is keeping momentum different than, uh, oh, or let, let, let's back up a little bit. What decisions have you made over the years that have helped your organization, in, in your case, Brad, or church, Judd, uh, find momentum? Because I think every leader is looking for momentum. Even those who have it are looking for more momentum. So what are some practices that you've seen that just sort of like, yeah, when we've done that, we find momentum? Well, momentum, I think, is the great exaggerator. Uh, it makes you better than you really are, look <laughs> better than you really are. And uh can also make you worse, look worse than you than you actually are. So mm-hmm. yep. uh, for us, you know, there's a strategy piece to that where you go through some hard sacrificial years and planning, and then there can be momentum that comes out on the other side of that. So we've talked about a little bit, and then I think there's there's also some some upfront kinds of things you can do. Like I know for us in the church context, uh, you know, there there. <laughs> There's some times where you look around and you go, all right, we need to do some really practical things that everybody sees. And everybody wants to be a part of something that's winning. 
And so, you you know, at some point, you've got to celebrate every single win, every life change, every baptism. If you only have one great victory or one great story, then that'd be all I'd talk about for a week, you know? <laughs> you yeah. know? You know right? Like, because you're trying to build on something. You're trying to build momentum. And, and yeah, you know, it, it, it can feel a little exhausting for a senior pastor, senior leader, because you're running around banging the drum, like going, look, we can do this. Uh, there's this moment, I was talking to a friend of mine about this in the movie Patriots, where Mel Gibson is is uh, everybody's charging back from the front line, right? They're all retreating. We're, you know, we're losing. And he grabs the flag and he's like, just starts running, going the other way. Like, let's go. That's what leaders do. Yeah. And so right. momentum is not about reality always. It's about perception of reality. And sometimes when it, when, yeah, everybody's running the other way and it feels like you're losing with, with wisdom, that's when you need to grab that flag and take the hill for God and just keep running, you know, and yeah. telling people we can get there. I think one of the other things we learned early on in our conversation, just to articulate a principle, when you said, you know, four years ago, you got 18,000 people into an arena, you cast a crystal clear vision, and you actually lost momentum because of it. If you If you study leadership, that's almost a sigmoid curve moment where you probably had momentum heading into that and you were willing to lose it and actually go, you, you weren't intending to, you didn't do it on purpose, but like you had to sustain a little bit of loss of momentum to gain even greater momentum into the future. And I think you could argue the idea of the sigmoid curve is hopefully as a result of these strategic changes you've made, your future trajectory is greater than it would have been had you not interrupted your current momentum to bring about some dislocation, a new vision, a clearer strategy, and then move even further into the future. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's really well said, said, Carrie. And I think it's, you know, the ministries and the churches historically that we look to that give us so much inspiration are, are the churches and the ministries that have been willing to do that yeah. again and again, right? They've been willing to push through that. And we only you know, they invite everybody in when the building's open, right? They bring everybody to the conference on the other side of it. And, and, uh, you know, I just, the real battle wasn't that, right. You know, when we actually broke ground on construction, I had a thought in my heart and, and, and there's still a lot to do and construction is exhausting and crazy, right? It's insane, mm -hmm. you know, building yeah. something. So yeah. I get that, but there was a, a thought in me that said, my work is done. Like mm. this will get done. All, all the hard work was getting to this place, getting the money together, getting the people unified, going <laughs> through the pain of loss, getting everybody kind of rallied around the new point. You know what I mean? Like, yep, like I do. We're gonna now. I look back and go, I may have been a little naive on that, but <laughs> you know, I think I, I, I think at the same time, it's it's uh, it's a lot of truth to that. It's just like with yeah. the building. Nobody sees all the foundation work, the ground lit, you know, the poor. That stuff takes three-fourths of the time, and then all of a sudden a building pops up, right, out of the yeah, ground. overnight, go, wow, look boom. How, look how fast <laughs> that happened. But if you're in that process, you're going, this six months, they just did nothing but foundation work, and nobody saw that. Right, right. And we all, you're right. You're so right. I mean, we pay attention to the highlight reel. We think everybody's story is up and to the right, and we just don't examine it closely enough. Brad, momentum for you. What have, what have been a few principles for you that have really helped you find or sustain momentum? Well, the flywheel, you know, Jim Collins yeah. references that good to great. And it's such, to me, that's such a great thing to think about is when you're starting to push that flywheel, it's hard and it's, you can't move it barely at all. And, and at some point that, you know, the, the, the 
gravitational pull, the inertia of the flywheel moving now starts to move on its own. And um, as Judd said, it's such a great illustration. Like when he got to that point of the of the ceremony, he was like, or, you know, at least the groundbreaking. He's done. He feels like he's done his part, which was the heavy lifting of the flywheel in the early stages. And once that's moving, then it's moving. You know, you 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 have a don't get in front of a truck that that now has been you know slowly rolling down a very uh, gradually steep hill at the end of it. You know, when you when it's <laughs> when it's in the early stages of rolling down the hill, you might be able to run across the road and and get to the other side without being struck. But when that when that truck's got some momentum, you know, stay out of the way. Um, and I, I think what Judd said too is important. I was going to say this is, you know, celebrating the wins along the way. And that's something I don't, I never have done well. Um, I'm always the leader who looks at, looks at five steps down and says, guys, remember, we've still got a lot, a long ways to go. And I didn't realize that was so discouraging to a team and to, mm -hmm. to the power momentum was to, I'm not trying to squelch the victories. I'm just saying, Hey, we're not there yet, but the team and the people and the people along the journey were going, Brad, like we're at, we're at like camp two of Everest. Yeah. I know you want to get to the top, but we're at camp two. And can we stop and just like snap a selfie? Um, can <laughs> we like take in the view here? Cause this is pretty awesome. And you know, my tendency would be to say, no, we're only going to take a picture at the top of Everest and camp two is for, is for, uh, you know, preparing for that next that next climb up, but the team is saying, no, let us celebrate. Let us stop. Let us, let us take in this win. And that's really, that's been a hard thing for me, but I think it's really important is when you're winning and you feel like you've, you're gaining momentum, allow people to celebrate those moments. I mean, to Judd's uh, demise, I know Judd, this is going to, this is a moment that you, uh, you, you, you had a hard time with two weeks ago when the Cowboys lost. I mean, I don't pick <laughs> it up. Brutal. It was a, yeah, it was, a, it was tough, you know, but uh, are those wins during the season? You know, the, the great season, does, does now all the momentum go away? I don't know. Uh, is that building for next year for the Cowboys? Maybe. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if they're not celebrating those wins during the season, then, then a lot of the value of that momentum that was building was never actually able to, uh, to feel like it was real tangible. Yeah. Yeah, you that's know, great. Uh, Sorry. Sorry, Judd. Yeah, that that got real personal. Um, but he's loyal. We know that already. And I would I would say too, you know, even doing this podcast, it's been it's been a fascinating study because there are undulations where sometimes you know downloads go up and sometimes they go down. Um, but that flywheel principle is so true. I I get asked all the time by podcasters, what should I do? And I'm like, just consistency. I mean, if you get yeah. six downloads a week and you say you're going to publish every Tuesday. You just do it every Tuesday, but I only got six downloads and then it was down to four or whatever. And uh, momentum has a, a, a lack of logic to it. Where right now, you know, we're, while we're recording this, this podcast is going to have its best month ever. 10% of the traffic that we've had in two years is happening in a 30 day window. It's just nuts. Wow. And there's no explanation for it. Other than that leaders are sharing the content, leaders, you know, have liked it or whatever. And the key is not to get too caught up. And the key is not to get too discouraged because December was a little lower than I thought. And it would have been easy to say, well, maybe we just won't deliver, but just deliver if you got a good fundamental strategy. 
and and then see where God takes it. So it's it's crazy, and and it's not always cause and effect with momentum. There are seasons where it's going to disproportionately reward you and disproportionately penalize you. But if your fundamentals are good, just just keep going. You're, what you're saying, can I just camp on that for yeah. a second, Kerry? Because yeah. that is really gold, and I think a lot of leaders just need to be reminded of that. You know, I, I to go back to a football analogy, um, you you don't throw the whole playbook out in the first game or two. Right. You know, let's yeah. say you come out right and yeah. you lose, right? You know, you lose the game. Well, you don't scrap everything you've worked for in the off season, all the meetings, the strategy, all the training. Now, you know, if you get a, a you know, a third, you know, 40, 50% into the season and you're you're still not working, <laughs> at that point, yeah, then you start taking a more serious look at it. But the great coaches, if you look at them, they stay to the game plan. As mm-hmm. long as practical, you know, like they don't yeah. they, because they keep believing that that strategy can work, even though it didn't work last week, even though it didn't work this week. We're believing, you know, we're just going to stick with the. So you don't throw the. A lot of guys, I think, want to scrap everything because they go through a rough season, and it's like don't throw the game book out too soon. You'll never really build up to momentum. Yeah, and and be careful what you're doing because I launched another podcast for Canadians, Canadian Church Leader Podcast, and I knew it would not have the numbers of this one because this has mostly American listeners, and there's a lot more Americans than Canadians. But, you know, it was it, what didn't get off to the start that I hoped it would. It took a couple of months to hit, like, I don't know, 10,000 downloads or whatever. But interestingly enough, on that principle, in the last two weeks, it's grown by 50%, and we don't know why. And, and again, that would, be, that would have been very, very easy to throw the playbook out or say it's not working or whatever. But then all of a sudden, this, this spike hits, and you can't explain it because it's nothing you've done. And... Uh, and so you just have to, and again, now, if you're at four downloads after a year, uh, yeah, maybe you have a problem with the with the show or, you know, if you've won no games on the season, yeah, definitely take a look at that playbook or the coach or whatever, and away you go. Okay, yeah, well, I feel that way about our online campus. A lot of churches okay. are doing online campus, right? You know, and for me, it was for five years slogging along, like, why isn't our online campus like Craig Rochelle's online campus, you know, <laughs> right. like, why is, it, right. why is it our online campus like? rocking the world you know why is it and then all of a sudden last year for no reason it just took off like a rocket like we still really? we haven't tested in it we can't explain it like what is going on we don't really know but every week it just continues to to grow and i just say that to encourage guys like the playbook didn't change i right. don't know why, but we it's not like it's different radically than it was a year or two years ago i just god somehow in the mystery of it all you just got to be faithful sometimes to just keep doing what you're called to do and be the voice that God has given you. And uh, and the truth is, I'm really glad it's doing well, but it didn't change my life, mm. right? Momentum doesn't really change your life. You better love the up seasons and the down That's seasons so because at the end of the day, you got to go home to the same wife and family. You pray to the same God. You're the same guy or man or woman. You know, you, you face the same personal challenges. So don't let your identity get too wrapped up in all those things. No, that's so good. And I guess the the, the takeaway here is uh, don't throw out the playbook instantly and and don't be the guy who never throws it out, right? Yeah. Like, I've been doing right. this for 15 years. You get fired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm over here taking notes, guys. Like you're you're dropping yeah. leadership gold on me over here. It's all going to be in my next book. So, you know, it's it's all for value here. Well, I'm going to start with you on this next one on culture, Brad, because you wrote a lot about it in H3 Leadership and it's a big part of your story and and you talk about 
just the culture that a leader can create around you, the Brad versus Darb thing for those who are familiar with your, uh, with your story. Uh, and that's your name spelled backwards. And that was sort of evil Brad, right? The Brad that, that wasn't so much fun. And that gets us into culture and you. How have you made sure the organization you're leading has a healthy culture? Well, it starts with me. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, that's the first step. So as the point leader, uh, you're responsible for culture. Like you, you set the tone, you set the mm. temperature, um, you set the, the, the thermostat and hopefully that thermometer is reflecting what, what kind of culture you're creating. Um, so it starts with you. I think culture is, is definitely created from the top, but it's reflected and it's lived out obviously in the middle and at the bottom. Um, so it doesn't mean the team doesn't have a part in culture. They do, but you're the one who has to really set the tone. And we as leaders do. It doesn't matter whether you, even if you say, I, oh, you know, I let my team set the culture. I, you know, as we've all heard, leaders' words, leaders' actions, leaders' attitudes, leaders', uh, you know, sense of, of passion or lack of passion for anything, all of that weighs a thousand pounds. Hmm. So if I walk in and, and I'm intense and I'm, uh, and I'm not uh, connecting with people and I'm, I'm being darb, then everybody else takes that on and, and they think that's the way the culture exists and operates. So, you know, we, we're the ones who are the trendsetters on this. And if your culture is not what you want as the leader, it's your fault. Yeah. So change it. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the truest statement I can make is, um, I, and I saw that at catalyst for me. I mean, it's the Darb story, but I was watching people reflect back to me on the team, me, they were reflecting me and I was going, I don't like this. And they were saying, well, you're the one who's causing it, you know, I mean, uh, whether they said it or not. So that's, that's really important for me. Yeah. Jed, what are you discovering about creating a healthy culture? Well, that's really good, Brad. I, I, uh, to golly, you know, I, there, there's a great kind of, uh, well, just even the title of that, this leadership book came out years ago, you know, what, uh, what, what got you here? What, what, remember that book? What yeah. got you here? Won't get you there. There it is. What got you here uh, won't get you there. What was so convicting to me about that book that I've held all these years is, is a lot of what Brad's talking about is a lot of my actions and attitudes and the way I approach things. And I still wrestle with this um, become a hindrance because they do start shaping more of the sort of team dynamic. I, I think for us, um, you know, there's a staff culture and there's a church culture and you mm. uh, want them to be sort of hand in glove. The interesting thing about culture is culture, I think is a lot harder to shape than like a strategy and culture, as we all, all know, right. The whole cliche culture eats strategy for breakfast every morning, you know, like you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have the culture to support it or back it up, right. It's going to, it's going to be, um, really hard to move things forward. So we created some, uh, staff values, which were new for us, you know, uh, around, uh, you know, I think, eight or 10 different uh, key nuggets that are all part of really ensuring that our staff culture reflects our preferred culture and then seeing that trickle down in the life of our church. And I feel like over the last few years, we're starting to see some real fruit from that. Um, but then I, I think when it comes to, to culture, uh, you know, that just, that does start at the top. And in the church scenario, you can't create a culture in your church and in your staff that isn't supported and backed up by the person that holds the mic. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on, right? People down line in churches going, man, if we were this way and if we were that way, look, 
and you know, to, you guys tell me if I'm wrong, but Mike just says, if your senior pastor isn't down with it, then you're, you're kind of wasting your time. You might want to redirect towards something. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Like, you know, you got 15, 20,000 people who attend your church, you know, Judd, but, but to a certain extent, the culture of Central is somehow directly pinned to the culture of Judd Wilhite, is it not? Well, yeah, it's very, yes. I mean, it just mm-hmm. over the years, if you're there long enough, you know, I don't know, five years, 10 years, it starts to become, you know, a reflection of, uh, of you know, for your heart for people. I have a, a huge heart for the hurting. Uh, I have, you know, I'm, I'm a grace guy, right? Yeah. And so that just starts bleeding out all into the life of our church. And it, it kind of affects who you become because you are their pastor. You're the voice that speaks into their life from a faith standpoint on a, on a regular consistent basis. So it's, it's really hard to shape a culture of a church. I was, I remember, okay, I can remember being at a large church in one of the, one of my early ministry situations and I was on staff downline and I embraced this whole marketing campaign. We were going to reach people that were far from God and they were, they were not in church. And, you know, this has always been a huge thing in my heart. And so we embraced it and we did it and we, we went at it. And, you know, this church was sort of a more traditional church and had resources and we put some commercials on TV and all these things, right? You know, it was going to be amazing. You know, the funniest thing was the day it dawned on me that, that somebody actually showed up from all this ad stuff and our entire church culture was nothing like every, anything we advertised. Like you projected. Wow. So, they, <laughs> so, they, so they walked in to this totally traditional religious experience that had no room for their sort of where they were coming from. And I realized like, I'm trying to shape a culture and I'm just not in the seat to shape it yet. Yeah. Wow. So I need to submit and prayerfully support and be loyal to my leadership and to my senior pastor and prepare until God positions me someday in a place where I can be more directly influential to shape a culture. Now, if you already agree with the culture, that's a different conversation. Now you can run with it, you know? That is a great answer for a question I get all the time, which is what do you do when you're not the senior leader, Judd? That that was fantastic. You're never going to be the senior leader if you don't learn that lesson. I don't think Mm -hmm. God will elevate you to that authority or, uh, you know, depending on how long you've been in it, you realize, I'm not sure it's an elevation <laughs> that weight on your shoulder. True that. Unless you learn that humility to be under somebody else's vision and carry it. Oh, so good. Okay, good. guys, we got a few minutes here uh, to wrap up. But we also at Rethink Leadership like to look inside and we like to talk about personal health, a, a session that we call you Really. So what are what are some disciplines? And, and Brad, we'll start with you because this has been so much of your journey. You found yourself at the end of your leadership at Catalyst, not healthy, not liking who you saw in the mirror. What have, what have been some disciplines that have really helped you get back? And I mean, we're doing this call via video, but I mean, one of them is you've lost how many pounds in the last three years? Like unbelievable physically. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over 70 pounds now. So wow. uh, yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I was about two, uh, two forty, two forty eight, uh, and, and change, and now I'm about one seventy seven. So wow, and you're not six uh, foot eight either. So that I no, mean, no, that, no. That. I was carrying, I was carrying that two forty eight fairly well, but the one seventy seven now is uh, just a, you know, imagine, imagine losing a, a second grader. Uh, that's a lot of weight <laughs> to be carrying around, right? I mean, it's just uh, you look great, man. You really do. Really. And I mean, if I had meetings with you where you're running on a treadmill or, or whatever, like you take it really yes. seriously. And, yeah, and no, it, it, it's I mean, I think that's the practical thing for me is 
is that started out um, in May of 2014. And I had some friends who, who know me well, who just, who just said, Hey, you know what? Like part of this, part of, part of you uh, entering a new season is that you need to be healthy, not just whole and spiritually healthy and emotionally healthy and, but also physically healthy. And it was, you know, it, it was a, um, it was a really hard journey. And it started out with, with looking at the big, the big elephant and going, how do I eat this elephant? And, you know, as we've all heard, you eat it one bite at a time. Um, <laughs> and it started out walking and, and just trying to eat better. And the, the practical side of this though, for me, Carrie has been, has been that the lifestyle had to change. Like I, there had to be for me, a personal commitment to, to a, um, a, a vision out there of, Hey, I want to lose weight. I want to, I want to move some of the big rocks yeah. into the jar first. Um, and I had to shift everything though, to make sure that was happening. So hey, here's an example when I, I travel a lot. So, you know, the, the old Brad would have said, would have said, well, you're traveling. You don't need to, you don't need to exercise today. You're, you're, you're good. But now mm -hmm. my thinking is no, I like, I'll skip the train and I'll walk to concourse D. Now, does that, is that a is that a big life decision? No, but it's a small decision and a small commitment to this new discipline of life that allows me to then feel like I'm winning and feel yeah. like there's a constant, you know, again, momentum and and movement there. So it's just that's one example for me that's been I'm now two and a half years into it. And it it, it it's a new lifestyle that I'm committed to. I mean, there there's hopefully there's no going back and to the old Brad. Uh, both in terms of health and other things, but that that was that's one example for me. No, that's a that's a good one. Um, what about spiritually? What keeps you closer to Jesus? And when that's not true, you get further away. Yeah, well, I mean, it's church for me. So I'm you yeah. know I'm not on staff, um, but I was. I write about this in H three too. Like I, I had a hard time being connected to a local house. Um, in Atlanta is we got, we got more churches we know what to do with that are amazing, <laughs> yeah. but I was, I was skipping around. I was, I was showing up at North point cause I was friends with all the staff. I would go to 12 stone because I'm friends with their staff, but passion city for me, which is Louie and Shelley Giglio's church. And, and I love all the other churches here, but that became home. And to know that I needed to be there on a Sunday and, um, not for my own sake, it was for my own sake, but also that I'm. I need to be like serving and and being a part of a of a local expression of a body of worship um, where where I'm committed. This is the true of of any of us who speak or write or mm -hmm. leadership or we feel like we're some kind of big deal all of a sudden. If we're not connected in to a local church, uh, my friends who are not connected to a local church and they say, "Oh, you know, my church is." Church for me is 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 just friendships. I don't need a local body. I'm kicking them in the shins these days. I'm punching them right in the throat and saying wrong answer, because not just for your sake, but for the big C church. Like we need to be um, expressing all of our gifts through that outlet as much as we are showing up and and you know wowing people with our leadership talks or whatever the Bam. case is. That, that's been a judgment for me. You know what? And I think it's a sign of humility. Um, I, I think for a lot of leaders, we're like, no, nah, we're kind of above that. You're not. 
above anything. No. You are not above that. You you need to be part of a local body. You need to be under somebody's authority. You need to be part of a community. You are not the community. Couldn't agree more. I think that's great. Judd, how about you? And I just want to affirm what Brad said. Thank you for saying that, bro, and for modeling that and leading it mm-hmm. out. You and I, you know, I hosted uh, Catalyst West with you for years, and, and we've been around a lot of Christian leaders, right? We've all been around a lot of cr- different Christian leaders. Yep. We need more sort of uh, uh, leadership experts that are speaking to the church, that are outside of uh, being on staff at a church, modeling what you're talking about, which is just uh, uh, staying accountable to a local body community of people and realizing none of us are above it or beyond it you know so i i just man i love that bro thank you thank you thank you and uh i think that kind of heart and attitude god will bless it and i think you will stay in the game a lot longer because of it because truthfully we see a lot of these people come and go yep some of it i think when you're not rooted that's a part of the dynamic that happens you know yeah Absolutely. And I've yeah, seen you I, live and, it, too. I mean, you, well, you talk for, about Louis being your pastor and Shelly being your pastor and that being your church. I hear you talk about that. And I'm going to Passion City on Sunday and I'm serving and I'm helping. Like, you're living that out, which is not like, yeah, I go when I'm in town, right? It's different. No, yes, exactly. And I, I don't go to consume. Um, although I do, I do, I do go to, um, to be filled up, but, but I've changed my perspective on I'm just a consumer or I'm a notch on the wall to my, my role is to serve and I'm a door holder. You know, that's our, that's our language at Passion mm. City. Um, but for all the business leaders listening to this, you know, cause you have a lot of business leaders, Carrie, who, yeah. and, and folks in the marketplace and people like me who, who, who aren't necessarily a staff member of a local church. Uh, this is so important that, that you, I, when, when somebody says, are you on staff at Passion City? I say, well, how would you define that? Because <laughs> I feel like I am but I don't get paid. Uh, you know, I mean, but I feel like I'm, I'm equally committed and involved and, and connected and serving in. And that's, that's what the, that's when the church is at its best is when, when we're all part of that. So Brad, that's a really solid word. Thanks. And, uh, Judd, how about you? What's keeping you, you know, between the lanes right now and, uh, between the lines, I guess, and, uh, and not in the ditch. What, what are some practices that really keep your soul healthy? Uh, I think if I could just briefly maybe bullet out a few things that have really helped shape me. Uh, First, the book by Gary Thomas, Spiritual Pathways. And uh, just for your listeners, I know many of them will have read it, but if you haven't read it, that book was so freeing for me because he talks about just the different ways we connect with God and how important it is to lean into the what's going to fill you up. Not necessarily what you're good at, but what's going to fill you up. So that is, a, I think, has been a huge thing. And so for me, I have an intellectual pathway to God, so I know I have to hmm. read, reflect. That's a part of my journey, even though I'm in Vegas. So it's all about WWA and, uh, or WWE and MMA, and yeah. it's as far from intellectual as you can get. That's, uh, uh, that's sort of how I stay fueled up. And then the other thing uh, for me has been uh, having a hobby. I hmm. think having a hobby, especially for hard-charging leaders, is really, really important. So music is my hobby, but a lot of, whether it's golf or whatever, just having something, camping, fishing, skiing, whatever, something that gets you, that allows you to shut that off in your mind. That's huge. Uh, One other thing that I do that I think has helped me stay healthy, I did it this morning. I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but I was at the church early this morning 
And I was walking through our auditorium, just praying, you know, reflecting on the weekend, praying about the people that would sit in those seats, right. Uh, that just sat there and then would sit there next mm. weekend. And I had a moment, I got this, I got this years ago from Rick Warren. I heard him say this and I've just done it for years and I haven't done it in a while, but I did it this morning for whatever, putting in the auditorium. It's totally quiet. You know, it's just me and God. And I just, I say this prayer. I say, you know, God, I thank you so much for the ability to serve this church. This is your church. Mm. And I'm here as long as you have me to be here. And I know the day will come when my time here will end. And I thank you for really the best years of my life serving you here. And I pray I can do it for a long time. But God, when you're done with me, let me know. You let me know and I'll surrender and I'll walk on. And that's a healthy act because it reminds me this isn't mine. I'm not here forever. I'm passing through. I'm a servant. I'm choking up. <laughs> I'm, I'm choking up. It's emotional. <laughs> that, you know? that is a powerful, powerful prayer and such a great discipline because I think sometimes, you, you know, it, it's just so clarifying in perspective, Judd, because I think you can end up resenting the church or, you know, taking credit when, you know, the gift always says a lot more about the giver than the recipient. And, and that is just so healthy and so humble. Man, thank you for that. And on, on well, hobby, holy cow, do I ever agree with that. So here's my problem. I don't Sabbath well. I just work because I love what I do. I love what I get a chance to do. And I will work in every available moment unless I have something else. So my wife and I last week decided to get back into boating. I haven't had, we sold our boat last year in the spring and I'll just work. And it's like, it's a nice boat. It's going to run. <laughs> and so I'm going to be on the water this season because if I'm not, I'm just going to work until I, I, I break down or go to sleep. And so, yeah, I think that's really important. And for driven leaders, it's hard to find the stop button. And that will take me into a different place of, of rest. Plus, it's social and we get to build into friends and leaders and family and stuff like that. But wow. Good. No, that's great. I love it. Well, guys, I'll tell you, this has been just so rich and so real. And um, Judd, you're part of Rethink Leadership this year, which we're excited about. Brad, you and I have been part of it for both years. And I think for the second Rethink Leadership, is it fair to say that this is really just what we're going to do for two days? It's like conversations, this raw, the stuff that you're not necessarily going to hear on some podcast. Well, you heard it on this one, but you know what I mean? Not the normal stock talks, but just round tables where we can have conversations and we can get real and hopefully you walk away with a bit of strategy, but also you walk away with a friend, you walk away with your questions answered and hopefully you walk away better equipped in every aspect for the leadership to which God has called you. Yeah. Well, we're pumped to have Judd there because as you can hear from this conversation, I mean, the guys just got a bunch of lessons obviously from leading Central Christian for years, but he's got some leadership gold that is, uh, that when I, when you start chipping away at Judd's, Judd's uh, profile, man, it just like, there's like, oh, there's another nugget. There's another nugget. There's another yeah. nugget. So, yeah, I mean, but that's true, Kerry. Like we're, you know, it's, it's conversations, it's connections, it's friendships, it's small and trying to be intimate. It's hearing from the leaders we respect, but what's the practical part of, it's not just a cookie cutter. Hey, come and do your thing. You know, do your talk that inspires. That's that's still really helpful. This is much more on the, and I'm going to walk away with a bunch of notes that I can put into practice tomorrow. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been great. Thanks so much for doing the first ever uh, roundtable, virtual roundtable on the podcast. Yes. 
I just yeah, got a buffet full. I'm, I've, I got my notes here. I got. I feel like I. <laughs> yeah. I just went to uh, Western Sizzler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, but nobody's gonna know where that is. So yeah, anyway. exactly. Yeah, we just, we just age ourselves, Jed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, guys, the links for all this, including Sacred Pathways by uh, Gary Thomas, are gonna be in the show notes. And uh, just want to thank you guys both so much, Judd, Brad. Thank you. Can't wait to hang out at Rethink Leadership. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for all you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Kerry. Like, is that rich or what? I mean, I, I, is it just me? I love that stuff. I just love the honest dialogue, the amazing insights, and just to know that you're not alone and like take copious notes from really smart people. That, that's what I love about leadership. And uh, hey, we got more in the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 127. Also, if you can't spell my name, and I know there's probably three of you who can't, just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click on the blog, and you'll see the show notes there. So uh, really excited for you to access some of the resources that we talked about today. And make sure as well, if you really enjoyed today, I think you're going to love Rethink Leadership. It's open to senior leaders, to campus pastors, senior pastors, and executive pastors. Go to rethinkleadership.com today before the rates go up on Thursday, February 16th. Hey, even if you're listening to this after, it's still a bargain. It's a couple of days in Atlanta together where we have interactive conversations, meaningful dialogue. You hear from world-class leaders. Check out the speakers. I mean, it's unbelievable. Judd and Brad are going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm super excited uh, to participate with you in that. So make sure you register uh, now and still get the best rates. Hey, uh, thanks so much to Trained Up as well for supporting the podcast. And thanks to you for like almost every day. I don't think it's an exaggeration anymore to say hardly a day goes by where I don't hear from one of you uh, or often actually many of you who are saying thank you for this. Man, you know, you guys rock. You're the best. And I just want to say thank you so much. We are back next week with, guess what, a brand new episode. And uh, I would love to connect with you then. We got a good friend, Mark Batterson, coming. Jason Romano is coming up. Scott Sauls, Kyle Eidelman, and so many more. If you subscribe, you don't miss a thing. So you can do that for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.